Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. Unfortunately, it's the White Sox 5, the Indians 2, which means the White Sox take the season series 10 games to 9. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. I saw someone posted something about, in one of the article, recap articles about the game, something about the Indians had won the uh, season series against the White Sox since 2016. You can't put since 2016. That's not long enough ago. Since needs to be something impressive. Since needs to be a long time. Since can't be, what, four or five years? That's not enough time uh, to be an impressive stat. So, yeah, I thought that, that was a little weak. But, yeah, we lose the season series to the White Sox. And, uh, frankly... Frankly, we talked about, in yesterday's episode, we talked about how Eli Morgan controlled the game. Well, in this one, it was Lucas Giolito really controlling the game. And he just had a really solid pitching performance against us. Six innings pitched, five hits, no earned runs, one walk, six strikeouts, 100 pitches, only five hard-hit balls on the day for Indians hitters off of Lucas Giolito. It just wasn't our day against Giolito. He was just sharp he was just sharp he wasn't uh you know overly dominant with any pitch he threw the slider a lot uh through the changeup only 21 times in fact in fact that changeup which we've struggled against so much all season nine swings against Giolito's changeup zero whiffs we put five of them in play but we had an average exit velocity of 83 miles per hour so maybe we weren't hitting him hard but for a team that has really swung and missed at the changeup all season, frankly, we were doing okay against this changeup. It was his other pitches. We were we were swinging and missing at his fastball. We had a 41% whiff rate on his fastball. 22 swings, 9 whiffs, which he threw 40 times, which he had a CSW of 28. None of his, none of his pitches were overly dominant. Um, but it was good enough to keep the Indians hitters off balance, get the strikeouts when he needed them, and uh, really did a good job, really aggressive with that slider, really throwing it a lot in the strike zone there, making us swing at the slider, uh, and then throwing some good change. Uh, obviously, his changeups all over the place. Um, he'll locate that anywhere. Uh, his fastball, he was keeping high. Shilito was trying to keep the fastball high against us and keep that breaking stuff down. Um, that was his plan, and that worked. It was a really good approach against us, and it gets him... How many wins is that on the season now for Giolito? I believe that is... He's in double digits. It's pulling up. It's his 11th win on the season. 11-9 with a 3.58 ERA. Now, on the other side of things, McKenzie takes the loss. He only lasts two and a third innings. Hale pulls him on 61 pitches. Only three hard-hit balls. Tristan McKenzie learned a story early. And apparently, my top storyline of the day is this pitching matchup. Because... McKenzie learned a good lesson early. He walks the leadoff hitter, Tim Anderson. And guess who comes around to score the very first run of the game? Tim Anderson. Uh, Larry Garcia would line out. Jose Abreu would single. Yasmani Grandal would single and bring in Tim Anderson to score. That's your first run of the game. You walk the leadoff hitter. It's going to lead to problems. And... uh, it's something we've seen a lot with McKenzie. Obviously, walks are something that got him sent down to the minors earlier in the season. 
And now here you go, the walk the leadoff hitter, and he comes around to score the first run of the game. Uh, they would then go on to add another two runs, more walks in the third inning. This is where he would get into trouble. A double to Lurie Garcia. Then he would walk Jose Abreu, walk Yasmani Grandal. Eloy Jimenez would single. Johan Moncada would single. And uh, that would give the uh, White Sox a, uh, a three to nothing lead. And that would be it for Tristan McKenzie. So that's pretty rough right there for McKenzie. The fact that those walks end up turning into runs. The fact that he can't make it out of the third inning. Not a good start. And Hale said that, um, you know, he didn't think that Tristan McKenzie uh, is worn out at this point of the season. Thought he had good energy uh, going into the game. He just struggled with his command in this one. The McCann might be, you know, even if his energy is still high, his mechanics might be slipping towards the end of the season here. So it's something to keep an eye on. It'll be interesting. He'll probably get one more start maybe before this thing is over. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do in his final start of the season if the walks continue to haunt him. Uh, After this, though, uh, after he gets Gavin Sheets to fly out, to Harold Ramirez and left, they'd bring in Nick Wickren, and uh, Wickren would do a good job of getting a ground-out force out where uh, they'd come home and get the out at home, and then Billy Hamilton would be called out on strikes. So uh, Nick Wickren does a good job, might as well throw this in there, of going in after McKenzie gets run out of this game and getting out of a serious jam, a bases-loaded jam in this third inning. So, I mean, with Nick Wickren, you never know what you're going to get sometimes. That's the most frustrating thing about Nick Wickren. Sometimes he feels like he is just a darn solid middle reliever. And then other times, he's just getting hit all over the ballpark, giving up home runs. Like, you just, I don't know if you could trust him. That's the hardest part about a reliever. You have to have some faith and some trust in him. And I'm sure Indians fans, I'm sure we're all pleasantly surprised when we get this Nick Wickren. But, you know, is Nick Wickren a guy we can trust moving forward in this bullpen? That's going to be a big question. I believe Wickren is a free agent at the end of this season. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening there. Uh, The Indians, uh, uh, well, sticking with Tristan McKenzie for one more second here, going over to his player breakdown. None of his pitches were really working. He was getting a decent swing and miss on his slider. Uh, seven swings, four whiffs on the slider. Good for a 57% whiff rate on that pitch, but not the fastball. 19 swings, three whiffs. Was aided by 10 foul balls, but they put six in play. Um, he wasn't getting hit hard. He didn't give up a ton of home runs in this game. He just, man, he just, the walks and then the singles adding on to that just turned into some real trouble for Tristan McKenzie. Now, he struggles against the Chicago White Sox. After this game, now baseball reference isn't updated, but I saw in the game notes after the game, his ERA now against the White Sox, he's 0-2 in five starts. His ERA is now over 10 against the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Definitely the team he struggles with the most. Now, his ERA is also over 10 against the Mariners and against the uh, Houston Astros. But he's only faced the Mariners twice and the Astros once. You know, now he's up to five starts, six appearances against the Chicago White Sox with an ERA still over 10. 
He's given up the most home runs of any team he's faced would be the Chicago White Sox, five. Now, obviously, he's faced the American League Central the most, especially with how weird the 2020 season was. But still, the White Sox definitely handle Tristan McKenzie very well, score a lot of runs off Tristan McKenzie. Ironically, though, ironically, this makes no sense. It's his highest strikeout per nine. He's at 14.0 strikeouts per nine against the Chicago White Sox. After this game here, I mean, he gets, how many strikeouts did he have? Three strikeouts and, you know, under three innings pitched. So maybe that goes down a tick. Uh, but he's around 14 strikeouts per nine. So he's striking them out. Uh, but I guess apparently the guys he's not striking out are getting hits and scoring runs because his ERA, like I said, over 10. So the White Sox are going to be a thorn in the side for Tristan McKenzie. I'm sure he's glad that his final start of the season is against somebody else. All right, so uh, that covers us, I think, on the pitching side of things. Uh, like I said, Giolito, just just like Eli Morgan did the day before, got the win. Went out there and gave a good, solid pitching performance to get his team the win. On the hitting side of things, it doesn't help that really the only one hitting this game was Miles Straw. Uh, Harold Ramirez does add two hits. There's a few hits trinkled in. I mean, the Indians did have 10 hits on the day. They had their chances. But the only one with a real big day at the plate was Miles Straw. Four for five on the day, including a double, including an RBI in the seventh inning when it looked like the Indians might rally to get back in this game. They're down 4 nothing. Uh, Roberto Perez starts it off with a double. Oscar Mercado singles. Then Miles Straw comes up, lines a single into right field. It brings in Roberto Perez to score. Mercado was on second, and I don't know if he got a bad jump. I, I don't know what happened. I would expect Oscar Mercado to be able to score from second on a single. At that point in the game, they needed to be that aggressive. They had to get back in the game. You know, when you're behind like that, when it's late in the game, you don't know how many opportunities you're going to get to score. And I thought it was a real wasted opportunity for the Indians to hold Mercado at third base. Because it turns out Ahmed Rosario would get out. Uh, I believe he would pop out to shallow right field. And then Jose Ramirez would hit into a double play. It would be challenged. At first, it would look like he scored. But Jose Ramirez was out by half a step. I mean, it was Bang, bang. But unfortunately, the first bang went to the first baseman, not Jose Ramirez's foot. So uh, he gets stranded at third, and they're out of the inning. Uh, and I'm, su- I'm surprised with Mercado and Strawn base that they didn't put anyone in motion. Um, you know, didn't start a runner, give Straw a chance to steal. He would get a stolen base later in the game, I believe. But... You know, I thought it would be a chance there to stay out of the double play to put somebody in motion. Instead, Jose Ramirez ends up hitting into the double play. So they get out of it, and our chance to kind of come back, claw back into this game, and make it a game in the final innings goes by the wayside. It wouldn't matter because we give the run right back to them in the eighth inning with some terrible infield defense from the Cleveland Indians and a bad decision by Bobby Bradley. Uh, Tim Anderson would be at first base. Billy Hamilton would be at third. They would catch Tim Anderson stealing second. It was a great throw by Roberto Perez, but Tim Anderson bails on the steal attempt and runs back towards first base. The throw goes back to Bobby Bradley. They've got Anderson in the pickle. Billy Hamilton has not broken from home yet. He's dancing off third. 
You know, he, he takes a few steps off third. Bobby Bradley decides to throw behind him, and at that moment, the instant Bobby Bradley turns the throw to third, that's when Billy Hamilton breaks home. So Jose Ramirez gets it, tries throwing home, but Billy Hamilton makes it in safe to score that insurance run for them in the eighth inning. And it's a just a it's a bad mistake from Bobby Bradley. You do not commit before that runner commits. You don't throw behind the runner and give him a chance to go home. There's no reason to throw that ball until Billy Hamilton breaks for home plate. There's just no reason to. He got a little too excited, got a little too aggressive, made a strong throw across the diamond. He has an arm, makes a strong throw across the diamond, but it gives Billy Hamilton the opportunity, the opening to break for home. The thing he was waiting for the whole rundown. If you just throw that ball back, you know, Tim Anderson had already turned and was heading back to second. If you just throw that ball to whoever is covering second in the pickle, you probably hold Billy Hamilton there. He probably doesn't break yet. As long as you got eyes on him, he's not going to break. He might. They might have just held him at third and eventually been able to tag out Tim Anderson. But Bobby Bradley gave him that window, gave him that opportunity, and Billy Hamilton with his speed makes them pay. It's an insurance run, makes it 5-1. to one. And then when Harold Ramirez comes up and hits a solo home run in the bottom of the eighth, it just doesn't mean as much. It just doesn't mean as much. He actually gets it off Kimbrell, who is giving the Indians fits still with his curveball, but he throws a high fastball, and Harold Ramirez goes opposite field, way opposite field, down the right field line for a home run. At that point, it didn't matter. Hendricks comes in, closes out the game, and he's a beast in the ninth inning. And that's your final. Miles Straw was getting it done all day. Let's go over to the illustrator here. You know, we focus so much on the pitchers. Let's take a look at the hitters, and let's see where all these hits are for uh, Miles Straw. So he ends up, let's see here. Let's zoom in on this one. He ends up getting, and let's see if I can go in order here. In the first inning, he gets a double on a 3-1 count from uh, Giolito. Uh, this is on a four-seam fastball that's just up and in, and he does a good job of getting his hands through this. It'd be the exact same location that Giolito would give up to a, a hit to him in the third inning, also on a 3-1 count. So Straw doing a good job to work ahead in the count and then taking a fastball from Giolito and shooting it out there. Um, he would also reach on an error uh, in the fifth inning, uh, that was on a slider from Giolito that was high. Everything he was getting was middle of the plate and up. Stuff that he could drive, that he could hit line drives on. Uh, he got a four-seam fastball from Michael Kopech in the seventh inning on a full count. This is the one that he lines out into right field for the RBI hit. This one is just above the belt, maybe at the belly button, middle of the plate. And then uh, his last hit of the day in the ninth inning off Liam Hendricks, he gets a single on a four-seam fastball again down the middle. This one just below the belt. Uh, so really, if they came into the middle of the plate, Miles Straw was ready for him. And some of these fastballs uh, are coming in with some serious speed on them. I mean, Giolito gets it up there. Uh, let's see what the pitch speed was on this. Those are both in the low 90s. I thought Giolito threw a little harder than that. Uh, the Copic one was 99.7, though. The R that was the RBI single was at 99.7, and Liam Hendricks's was at 98.4. So that's some heat coming down the middle of the plate, and Straw's able to shoot line drives out 
into uh, into the outfield for a lot of base hits on the day. What did he get his batting average up to on the day? Up to 272. His OPS is still sitting at 697, but a 272 batting average. You know, unfortunately, the thing for Straw is it doesn't matter what the batting average is. As that leadoff hitter, it's the on-base percentage that we're really going to care about. That on-base percentage is so huge for him as the leadoff hitter. Yes, we love to see a batting average creeping up towards 300, but I really want to know what his on-base percentage is. 350 on the season, not too shabby. Not too shabby at all of an on-base percentage uh, right there for Miles Straw, who definitely is going to be back as your leadoff hitter and center fielder come next season. So, well, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good day. MVP for the day, definitely going to Miles Straw. Four-hit day, on base five times, definitely gets MVP for the day. Really nobody else in the lineup even comes close to the performance he gave today. So we'll see if he can keep this rolling through the end of the season. If his on-base percentage can push his OPS over 700 to finish out the season. Uh, last note on the day, Anthony Ghost gets back in there. He pitches a nice inning, does give up a hit, but no runs, no walks. Two more strikeouts for Anthony Ghost. Again, pounding that fastball, throwing that slider, zipping it down and across the zone into that lower corner. Um, the way lefties love throwing that slider. So another good outing from him. Garza did have three strikeouts over two innings of work, but he gave up four hits. Uh, gave up a run, and Blake Parker struggled. Logan Allen gets the pitch the final inning. Gives up a hit and a strikeout, but no runs given up. So Logan Allen continuing to get some work as this season wraps up. So that was your bullpen on the day for the Indians. Yeah, it's a tough one. It just it felt like Chicago's day from the very beginning, which is okay because, you know, a few blocks away at Brown Stadium, first energy stadium, the Cleveland Browns were putting a whooping on the Chicago Bears. So Chicago didn't take the entire day from Cleveland. You know, it was a split. It was a split in downtown Cleveland between Chicago and Cleveland. All right, some more news and notes, uh, things I want to talk about uh, on this one. Um, Some news and notes about the Indians that was popping up in some Cleveland.com articles. Uh, Bieber's next start, they're definitely going to get him one more start. They're just not sure which day it's going to be. So look for Bieber to maybe get another, you know, he only threw, I don't think he threw the full 50 pitches because he threw three good innings and they just kind of let him hit the showers feeling good. So we'll see if he gets up to 50 pitches or so and he gets that one start. Uh, Antonetti did talk a little bit about Andres Jimenez. They really like the work that Andres Jimenez put in um down in the cages, down in AAA when he went down there, working with their hitting coaches. He really, really applied himself in the batting cages to uh, work on his swing and his approach. And it has paid off a little bit. His numbers are looking a little bit better. If you look at the recent games or the last 10 games, apparently he's hitting 286 with a 976 OPS and three home runs in his last 10 games. So there's some encouraging things there at the end. And Antonetti, I think, is impressed with his work effort. And so uh, that is going to factor in. That is going to definitely factor into next season, whether Jimenez gets another crack shortstop, whether they just pencil him in as the starting second baseman and leave Ahmed Rosario at shortstop. 
which leads me to my last thing, which is Terry Pluto did one of his scribbles articles about the Indians. Uh, it was stuck behind the paywall, but if you follow, if you find him on Twitter, you could pull up the article. And uh, it's what I'm hearing about the roster as the season comes to a close, and that definitely piqued my interest because I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a transaction junkie. So if you're talking about roster moves and you know things like that and 40 man rosters and you know who got, who has options left and stuff like that, that always perks my interest because baseball is such an it's such an interesting way that the front office has to operate. Like it's so completely different than football and basketball, right? Basketball is starting to do some things with their two-way contracts and the G League and being able to kind of keep guys down in some form of a minor league. And uh, football, obviously, you have the practice squad and things like that, but you have obviously a much bigger roster, but then you have a salary cap. So there's some real considerations you have to make there. With baseball and the 40-man roster and option years and stuff like that, you really have to start getting creative because just when you think you've got a prospect in your system, suddenly the Rule 5 draft is looming and you, if you think, what am I going to do with this guy? So it was kind of the point of Terry Pooh's article. And basically Mercado and Zimmer and Chang are all out of options, which means they either have to be on the roster or you have to make them available, frankly, for anybody in baseball to snag them. Like you can't pass them down to the minor leagues without anybody in baseball having a crack at them. Uh, Daniel Johnson does have one more option year, but, um, it, you know, I was, I was interested in the article, but I was surprised that like, it's stuff we've already talked about. It's stuff we already know us morning people, us serious baseball fans. We already know that Chang is doing all right as a utility infielder. We already know that Zimmer and Mercado just are not developing at the major league level. Now, the one interesting thing he had in here was about uh, some study that says it takes a certain amount of at-bats in the minor leagues before you know most guys are ready to hit major league hitting. So uh, MLB analytics show, this is directly from Terry Pluto's article, MLB analytics show that most players need between 1,800 and 2,500 plate appearances in the minors to be properly prepared to stay in the majors. That's why about 85% go back to the minors at least once after making it for the first time. So this applies to guys like Andres Jimenez. This applies to guys like Owen Miller. And then he was looking at Chang and Zimmer and Mercado and where it applied to them. He was looking at Lindor and Jose Ramirez and Michael Brantley and how much time they spent in the minors and kind of bounced back and forth. Now, when Michael Brantley and Lindor and Jose Ramirez were bouncing back and forth, um, it was a different Indians team. We weren't coming off, you know, a World Series and then division titles and playoff runs. We were building back up after the Manny Acta years, and we were just starting the Terry Francona years. Now, this team has so much expectations. It has such good pitching and such high expectations that we don't have the patience to let these guys bounce back and forth between the minors and the majors a couple of times. So we really have to remember for guys like Andres Jimenez, for guys like Owen Miller, and even guys like Oscar Mercado. Now Zimmer has had, Zimmer's old, Zimmer's 28. Zimmer's an old guy to still be considered a prospect. Chang um, has had a couple of opportunities. Obviously he's out of options, but he's a guy that just, it works as a utility player a little bit better 
So yeah, the Indians have some really, really tough decisions to make when it comes to Mercado and Zimmer. Do we keep them on the roster? Chang, Daniel Johnson, you know, when do you kind of give up on some of these young guys and make room for other young guys to come in? Or when do you finally spend money and go after a corner outfield spot? So there are so many decisions for Antonetti and Chernoff to make uh, going into this offseason. It is going to take some serious roster manipulation and machinations and creativity to get the team that you want on the field for 2022 without completely uh, you know, giving up on some guys. You know, that's always the fear. The fear is always that you're going to give up on a guy too soon. So I don't know. How do you feel, morning people? Do you feel like we're giving up on uh, uh, Oscar Mercado too soon? Do you feel like we're giving up on Daniel Johnson too soon? Um, yeah, I, I, I think I might be, I might be done with some of these guys. I, I might, I might be done with Bradley Zimmer, even though his monster home runs are impressive. I. I may have seen enough. I really, I think Oscar Mercado seems like a really nice guy. I think Zimmer seems like a good guy too, but I really wanted to work out with Oscar Mercado because when he came up in 2019, it really felt like he was just the young guy that was going to come in and really fit in with a group of players that we had and really take off as an outfielder for this team. Um, you know, maybe not ever be a monster home run hitter, but remember he was like hitting in the two seventies or something like that, his rookie season. And we really had high hopes and it just, it just hasn't been clicking. Every time you have a good game, you go through like three or four bad games, right? You know, it just doesn't seem to be like he's putting together good weeks and then good months and then good seasons. So we'll see who they still have faith in. We are going to learn a lot about who they still have faith in this summer. And uh, that was basically the gist of Terry Pluto's article there. Now, I do want to give a shout out as I wrap this thing up to one of our emailers, one of our contest winners. He uh, left a review on Apple Podcasts and won himself a free t-shirt back when we were doing the promotion. Uh, so he, he emailed me to let me know that he got the shirt. Say thank you. He says, hope the tribe... And the lingo will be jettisoned shortly. Uh, can break 500. Phil, I'm with you. I hope they can break 500. But if not, the future looks bright. So Phil is staying optimistic. It, it's all about starting pitching, in which they are well positioned. I even think they will have a league average offense next year. So he's seeing a little, he's being patient with the Owen Millers and the Andres Jimenez's and some of these guys, thinking maybe they'll float up to league average. Uh, next season. So he says, thanks again, Phil from Louisville. Phil, thank you. Thanks for emailing in and supporting the show. And Phil's absolutely right. I mean, the starting pitching will keep them positioned to succeed next season. What they can do, how they can manipulate the offense, and obviously the defense and the offense comes together. That's kind of a package deal. How they can set that up for success I have pulled up a list of possible free agent outfielders that I definitely want to dig into one of these mornings and talk about. So we'll get into that. Who's out there? Who's actually going to be out there this offseason to start dreaming about and thinking about and who would be realistic for the Indians to go after? So, Phil, I'm with you. I am very positive. I'm very positive that the future looks bright for the Indians. All right. That is all my thoughts. Thanks for joining us on this Cleveland baseball morning. 
The final again from Cleveland. It's the White Sox taking the season series with a 5-2 win over the Indians. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com, just like Phil in Louisville did. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.